Our scripture today is John 10, 31 through 42. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law. I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, then even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to, play, to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Justin, and it's really good. Man, he's tall, and I'm not, so I don't know how to do this, but there we go. Just force it down. Uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. Um, as they said, I am uh, a pastor in Davenport, Iowa. I planted Sacred City Church. You guys kind of ripped off her name, but not all the way. Um, Sacred City Church about 10 years ago. And it's been uh, just a joy and a blessing to be a part of the Acts 29 network. And um, over the past several years, we've got six different Acts 29 churches across Iowa. And it's my joy to be able to get to gather once a month with your pastor, and we, we all meet in Iowa City, and we get to talk and fellowship and just hear what the Lord's doing, and it's just been awesome to see what God has done in this church over the past few years, that this is something special that the Lord's doing, that it's kind of reverberating all over Iowa. A lot of people are talking about that church in Collins-Maxwell, that God, that, that's going, what's, what's going on over there? It's, um, it's the Lord's work, and it's really exciting to not just hear about it, to, but to be here this morning and to be able to worship with you and to be able to preach the Word of God to you this morning. Um, if you don't know, I'm sure you already do know, but I just want to affirm what you probably already know, that Tim is a good and godly pastor, and it is a blessing from God. It is an absolute gift from God, that 80% of the churches across the world, across the United States are declining right now, and the major reason is because the pastors in those churches, the leadership in those churches are declining. They're spiritually, they're, they're experiencing what we call spiritual declension. Their spiritual life goes down, and as their life goes down and their spiritual life goes down, so goes the church. So God has given you and this city and this towns around it a great blessing in giving you a, a godly pastor who loves Jesus loves his wife, loves his family, and loves this church, and loves this area, right? It's a good gift from, a God, from God this morning. So again, it's my pleasure to be with you, and uh, giving Pastor Tim a much-needed week off to get some rest before we move into the busyness of the holiday season. And I want to pray for us, and then just and jump in this uh, unique text from John chapter 10 this morning. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for who you are, that we would not be here if you did not exist, 
that everything we see, everything we are comes from you, that you are the giver of all good gifts. You've given us creation. You've given us your son. You've given us yourself. You've given us your word. And this morning, we want to hear that word rightly. I pray that you would help me, that I'm just a man and I need your Holy Spirit to lead and guide me this morning. Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords? Would everything I say be of you and none of me? Would your people hear your voice this morning? Father, you promised that your sheep would hear your voice. Would they hear your voice and respond? Would you open hearts and open minds to be receptive to you this morning? Would you bring all the glory to yourself? And would we benefit from that as well? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you could open up your Bibles to John chapter 10, we are in a funky little passage, right? It's not too often where you begin in verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Well, let's go back one verse and just see what, why are people getting so upset at Jesus? Verse 30, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Well, here we are again. Jesus just can't seem to keep himself out of trouble. And every time, I don't know what it is, but you know, we know if you, if you park a car in the garage or you park a car in the barn and you leave it, that thing begins to degrade immediately. And I don't know if it's just for me, I kind of park my understanding of Jesus up on a shelf and my understanding of Jesus seems to degrade over time. But every time I read a passage like, and they picked up stones to stone him again, I'm like, I forget how controversial Jesus was and Jesus is. If you've been attending Sacred Mission for a while, you'll notice that this is actually the third time in the Gospel of John that people have picked up stones to try to kill Jesus. Just what is going on here and what can we learn from it? Well, there's really two main points of view that I want to address this morning from this passage. The first is how should we view Jesus what should our perspective be on Jesus? And the second one is, how should we view ourselves? What should our perspective be on ourselves? Let's look at the first question here. How should we view Jesus? Well, he doesn't want us to guess here. He doesn't want us to have a fuzzy understanding of who he is and who he believes himself to be. He says really clearly that he and the Father are one. In verse 36, he makes it even clearer. He says, I am the Son of God. In verse 38, he says, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Jesus here is making an audacious claim. He is claiming to be the second member in the triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one together in essence, will, and works. One God in three persons, and Jesus claims to be God. Now, just imagine that, walking this earth, and he shows up, and he says, I'm God. Right? Now, we might not blush at that, but we don't blush at that because we probably aren't really thinking about it. We're not really grasping the implications of it. 
But when we grasp what Jesus is actually saying, we realize that this claim is actually deeply offensive and demands an ultimate response from everyone who hears it. So no one hears this claim and goes, oh, okay. Yeah, I've got an uncle that says the same thing. Yeah, no big deal. No, no. If you understand what, who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing, then you're going to have ultimate responses, and these responses are both in this text, ultimately rejecting him and picking up stones and wanting to kill him or believing in him and trusting in him. So I said this is offensive and demanding. First, it's offensive because it's a claim to be God. To claim to be God or one with God is to, com- is to claim to possess absolute truth, to deserve worship, to deserve obedience from followers. Second, if that claim is true, that places a certain demand upon the listeners, upon us and the readers and the listeners in this text. If Jesus is God, then I owe him everything. He is the one who created all that there is. He is the one who's holding it all together, Colossians tells us. And if it's his universe, then who am I not to honor him as such? Can you imagine seeing a guy who could walk up and say, you know, deserve and demand worship, and you're like, who do you think you are? And he's like, you're breathing my air. Oh, right? The kind of the Job response, where were you when I founded the earth and I put it on its foundations? Like Jesus is claiming to have that type of authority, to be able to tell people how they should live their life, what they should do with their money, etc., etc. Now, I believe that this claim, if we actually process it, is just as offensive and demanding as it has ever been. Jesus' claim to be God, he claims to possess all knowledge and all wisdom and all power and all hope for salvation. And look in our passage today how the people respond to him. They pick up stones again to stone him for the third time. Now, here is the the second perspective I want us to look at this morning. How are we to view ourselves in light of this passage? It might be an interesting question because I don't know about you, but when I read about the Jewish leaders in the gospel, I get a little puffed up in my own understanding. I'm like, what is wrong with these guys? Right? We talked about having a veil over their eyes. Like Jesus doing miracles, walking on water, and they're like, I don't know, I think it's the devil. Would the devil heal all these people? The devil? Wait, the devil casts out the devil? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? But they just can't capture who Jesus is. How could they think that he was a son of the devil or a glutton and a drunkard? How could they not see that Jesus was actually who he said he was? He was not a blasphemer. He was the literal in the flesh son of the almighty God. When I read the gospels, it seems like the Jewish leaders always come off as the bad cowboys in all the westerns, right? They come in wearing the black hats, right? You're like, you're watching a movie. I wonder who the bad guy is. Oh, there he is. He's got a black hat. Clearly, thank you for that. 
right? Or the Darth Vader, he walks in, the music changes, gets real ominous. Oh, thank, helpful, bad guy. That's clear, that's going to frame the context for the rest of the movie. But here's the problem. Most of us, though we're probably, we're not that antagonistic to Jesus as the Jewish leaders were, it's very easy for us to look down on them as ignorant or stupid for not believing in Jesus, but I believe that when we do that, we miss a key perspective that Jesus is giving us in this text of Scripture, namely that we don't want to see Jesus as he really is, that we're actually okay with kind of an unoffensive, vanilla Jesus that just kind of makes us feel good most of the time, but doesn't really challenge us. We kind of have that Jesus that we set up on the shelf and we've rubbed all the rough edges off of him. He doesn't really offend us or challenge us or kind of demand us to give our all to him. So in that regard, we can be a lot like the Jews in this passage. To, to push my Western analogy a little farther, I think maybe we're all wearing black hats. Here's what I mean. Jesus says something here that does not fit in the Jewish folks' worldview. He, a flesh and blood man, claims to be God. Now, they're Jewish. They understand who God was. God is transcendent. God is one. This man cannot be God. Their understanding of the Old Testament prevented them from understanding who Jesus was in the moment. And what we're going to see is their understanding of the Old Testament was faulty. So when Jesus says, I am the son of God, their circuits get crossed and it fries their circuit board. They can't handle it. They lose their mind. He can't be the son of God. They pick up stones to, to kill him because he must be a blasphemer. Now, I don't think that's going to fry our circuits this morning, but we believe other things about Jesus that aren't necessarily true. Today, many of us say things like, Jesus is he's a good teacher. He is a good moral example for us to follow. He's probably one way to know God, if there is a God. But to claim that Jesus is the only way to God in our culture today, that is blasphemous. But then in walks the real Jesus in the scriptures, the Jesus with the sharp edges, the Jesus who doesn't really care about our current worldview and what we think makes sense. He walks in and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that kind of truth offends us. And we can call him a blasphemer in our day and age, or a divider, or a bigot, or whatever. We might not stone him, but we definitely kind of cringe at that kind of claim and probably reject his claim to exclusivity. Or take Jesus' view of marriage. Jesus says marriage is between a woman and a man, and it should be this lifelong union that we should not break it through um, cheating or through infidelity or through divorce. And today, many of us, we just, ugh, we just cringe at that statement. It sounds so outdated or offensive. And 
When you read through the scriptures, there's all kinds of things in the Bible that offend our current cultural attitudes, and many folks want to just kind of simply sweep them under the rug or avoid reading the Bible altogether so you don't really come in contact with these things. We kind of think, man, the scripture just needs to be updated for modern times. But look what Jesus says in verse 35 about the scriptures themselves. He says this, and scripture cannot be broken. Jesus here is affirming that God's word is authoritative, that it comes with his authority, that we must bend ourselves to it. We must find ourselves fitting into the biblical worldview and not trying to get Jesus to fit into ours, that the word of God is infallible. It is without error in the original manuscripts, that we can trust it with our lives, and the word of God is sufficient, that everything we need to know for life and godliness we find in the scriptures. Jesus here, as the word of God made flesh, agrees with that statement, agrees with that reality that the word of God is authoritative, infallible, and sufficient. It doesn't need to be updated in light of whatever our moral proclivities, our moral values, how they shift and change today. Here's one more thing that gets me every time. I'm going to have to jump ahead a bit, but it's in John 15, and Jesus says, Probably one of the most offensive things you could ever say to a good old, hardworking Iowa boy like myself. He says this, he is the vine, we are the branches, and apart from him, you cannot do any good work. Now here, Jesus isn't claiming that non-Christians cannot do nice things for people. Or cannot do things that we would look at and go, that's a, that's a good thing. Anybody can help an old lady across the road, you can do that good thing. Jesus here is talking about works that are considered good from God's point of view. In other words, works that are good all the way down, all the way to the bottom. That God could look at that thing and say, that is a good work from start to finish, from beginning to end, all the way down. So you know how we can do the right thing because, you know, mama taught us to do the right thing. Maybe we were raised in church, and, and yet we do it with bad attitudes sometimes. We do it with ulterior motives. We do it because we feel compelled to do it. I don't want anybody to talk about me for not going to that thing, so I'm going to go to the thing. I'll put on a smile. I'll be there. But ultimately, we really don't want to be there. We don't want to be perceived in a negative light, so we do that good work, but deep down, we're just kind of annoyed. See, Jesus here teaches us that all of our good works done outside of Christ, outside of faith, are like that. They're, they're, they're kind of good, but they're also kind of laced with sin. Now, I want you... I use that word for, on a purpose, kind of laced with sin. Think about that. If a cookie is, it's kind of good, but it's kind of laced with rat poison, <laughs> right? That makes that thing no longer good, right? Indeed, it might taste like a chocolate chip cookie, but it's going to have negative reactions. Jesus teaches us that our good works are like that. They're kind of good, but they're laced with something that makes them not good from God's point of view. Therefore, those good works will never bring God's approval to us. Now, that truth, I'll tell you, that is offensive to me. Right? I, I was a little 
I was a little rebellious hellion growing up, and then Jesus got a hold of me in high school, and I kind of flipped, and I became kind of a moralistic, hardworking, do-the-right-thing type of person. And I didn't really understand the gospel. God saved me before I actually understood the gospel. I was convinced when I first became a Christian that I, was going, I wasn't going to sin anymore. I was convinced. I, was, I can do this. I'm going to be a hard worker and I'm not going to sin. That lasted about eight minutes, I think, right? My mom, had to, my mom taught me that one. It's not going well, son. That's, that's not going to work for you, right? No. See, I bring this up because the Jews here are in a very similar spot. They view their good works as earning them a special position with God. That God's looking down on them and going, clearly you guys are amazing. Look at the way you're tithing. Look at the way you're giving. Look at all the good works that you're doing. And in their mind, that's how they, they thought God viewed them. And I went I, it's so funny because when I read this, this passage and I read and I look at the Jewish leaders... I look at them like, look at all these religious leaders. They're fools. They're all wearing the black hat. When God says, I actually have a black hat perched on my head as well. And that's the great danger that I want us to see in our passage this morning. The Jews don't see themselves as sinners in need of salvation from the Son of God. And therefore, they don't recognize him as the Son of God when he's standing right in front of them. See, if I think I'm walking around with a white hat, right, I, I don't need to be saved, right? I, I'm a good guy. Clearly, I'm a good guy. I don't need to be saved. I'm already on team God. We're good. The, the enemy's out there. But what God's trying to get, our, get the attention of the Jewish leaders here and get our attention by extension is that we're all wearing the black hat this morning. Romans 1 tells us that this happens because of original sin, the sin that is running through our veins at birth and that came down from Adam. Paul says because of it, we suppress the truth about God. We suppress the truth in a million different ways because we don't want to see God as he actually is, holy, and see ourselves as we actually are, sinful and in need of salvation from the grace of God. As I was thinking about this this week, I'm reminded of the line in The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis where he says, Oh, Adam's sons, how cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good. That we are like the child who resists the medicine that we're trying to put in their mouth. It's so much easier to either diminish who Jesus says he is and make him into kind of just this good moral teacher or elevate ourselves to a position that's higher than Scripture says that we are in, that we are actually not in need of salvation. But Jesus here offers two responses to the Jews and to us by extension. He says this, he says, Believe my words, and believe my works. First, let's look at his words. Jesus here claims to be the Son of God. And this is a, this is a kind of a bizarre passage because Jesus is using the religious leaders' ultimate standard for their life against them. 
See, the Jews, the Jews believed that the claim, Jesus claiming to be against God was actually against Scripture. So Jesus uses that own, their own standard against them. He says, in effect, oh, you trust Scripture. You're the Bible guys, right? Well, how about this one? And he quotes Psalm 82.6 that says, well, let's look at it right there. He's, it's very complicated, okay? It's very complicated. He says in verse 34, Jesus answered it, is it not written in your law? This is written in Psalm 82.6. I said you are God's. And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. Now the, the ESV translation does some help for us. And when it first says, you know, you claim, the Old Testament claimed that we're all sons of God and it kind of shows us a little s, right? But then Jesus claims to be the son of God and it shows a big capital S. That in the Psalms, God was referring to the judges of Israel, and as they sat in judgment, that they were his delegates, they were his overseers, and so they were, he, he was like, he was calling them their sons, just like he called Israel my firstborn child. So God referred to his people as his sons. And so Jesus is like, hey, if we just go off of that, I could claim to be the son of God all day. Now Jesus is a little tongue-in-cheek here, because he's not making just that claim to be a, a um, just a judge or just one of the people of Israel. He's claiming to be the capital S, son of the living God. But Jesus, this is so interesting here. You can really nerd out when you get into it because these guys come with this very intellectual argument, very biblical argument, and Jesus is willing to get inside it, twist them up in knots, and show them that by their own standard, they're wrong. He shows them that their own standard for objecting to him, being the son of God, fails by its own measurement. This is like the person who says, well, I believe that all truth is relative. Okay, does that include your statement that all truth is relative? Right? It fails by its own standard. Jesus here removes that objection by appealing to the scriptures that cannot be broken. And then he says, if you don't want to take my word for it, look at my works. Look at what I have been doing. What do my works say about me? I mean, Jesus, this is how he starts the kind of the argument. They, they pick up stones to kill him, and he doesn't just bolt. Jesus has courage here. He stands up. He's like, hey, which one of my works are you about to kill me for? <laughs> We're not going to kill you for your works. We're killing you because of what you said. And he says, hey, and he, he, he unpacks that argument. He breaks it down, shows that they don't have a right to kill them here, this mob violence that is about to take place. You don't have a right. So now, which one of my works are you going to, which one of my works are, is the reason that you're killing me? And they said this. Verse 37. I, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Jesus has already walked on water. 
healed the centurion's son, cured the paralytic, and gave sight to a blind man. So he's pointing at his works that have proven that he, he is in charge of creation. God doesn't answer the prayers of sinners, Jesus says. If I'm doing these works, how am I doing these works? Tell me how I'm doing these works. He's trying to get them to see who he is through the works that he has done. He's saying, I am the one who was sent by the Father to restore this broken world back into a right relationship with him. I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Jesus has proved this over and over by preaching the gospel and then giving people a piece of that abundant life by healing their body, by restoring them to community, by, by forgiving their sins. Jesus says, I'm here testifying to who God is. God wants to restore this broken world. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to heal your marriage. He wants to heal your body. That God wants to do these good works. He sent me here as his missionary, as his son, to show you who God is, and now you're wanting to stone me. Why? All of this testified to who he was. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was the Son of God. As John began, he was the Word that was in the beginning with God. The Word of God that spoke all of creation into existence. He was the Word made flesh who could walk on the water that he was holding together by his Word. That he could heal the sick and cast out demons, and as you will soon see in the coming weeks, even raise the dead. All of Jesus' words and all of Jesus' works testify to this reality. He is the one and only Son of God. He was absolutely perfect in this life. He was the one man to ever live the perfect life that God demands of us, full of good words and good works done for the glory of God alone. Jesus is the only human being that has ever walked this planet that got to wear a white hat. Well, technically, Adam probably wore one for a couple days. You read Genesis, he's got a couple good days in there, it looks like, right? And then he had to switch that baby out to a black hat, right? Everybody else, we're born with black hats. Just like the Jews in today's passage. Again, I don't think we're, most of us aren't that antagonistic. We're not going to stone Jesus but we're going to probably, we're tempted just to push away from Jesus and not, not let him challenge our lives very much. We doubt his words. We resist his will. We disobey his commands. And for that, Scripture tells us we deserve condemnation. We deserve judgment. We deserve death hell, and the grave. But here's the amazing news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't stop working here in John 10. Jesus went on to do his greatest work, and that was on the cross. And it was on the cross where Jesus took all of our sins upon himself. Think of it like this. Jesus took our black hat and put it on himself, and God was pleased to crush him in our place on the cross. That means Jesus died the death 
that we deserve. Now, do we push back on that? Again, like, oh, I'm not that bad. We deserve death. It's not that we're that bad. It's that God is that good. And God can't be in the presence with sinners like us. So what did God do? God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come do what we cannot do, and that's live that perfect life, and then not just be exalted into the heavens. As the one and only son of God, Jesus came as our great exemplar. He lived a perfect life, and then he's like, all right, guys, that's all you got to do. Follow my footsteps. Just do it like that. Right? We couldn't do that. So what did he do? He dons our black hat. He goes, he takes our sins to the cross, and God the Father punishes our sins on the cross so that Jesus, we can, those that put their faith in Christ, we can be crucified with Christ. All of our sin paid for. And then Jesus Christ, on the third day, he's resurrected to new life, showing that the Father has accepted that sacrifice, that he has agreed to this, that he will forgive us, and he will give us new life. When we put our faith in Christ, he will give us new life. Jesus, defeating death for us. After that, he appears to 500 witnesses, proving that he was who he said he was and that we could have what he said we could have. Namely, from John 10, life and life more abundantly. Now and an eternal life. This resurrection life can be yours today. The total forgiveness of your sins, all of your sins, past, present, future, put on Christ. God the Father can look at you as his forgiven child today because of the work of Jesus Christ. If, here's the deal, if you choose to respond, there's only two responses to Jesus. Two accurate, appropriate responses. Reception of him, acceptance of him, belief in him, because God has changed your heart and you receive the word of God as such and you receive the salvation from the grace of God, or hardening of your heart, pushing away from him, saying, I don't need you, Jesus. And we see both of those responses here in this passage. First, the Jews take up stones to kill him, and look at the last two verses today. Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And look, and many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And mankind has not changed since the day of Jesus. Our opportunity is the same as those of Jesus today. We can accept him, we can receive him, we can believe him, and we can welcome him here, or we can push away from him. Friends, would you believe in Jesus today? This is the best news in the universe. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, this is kind of an obscure passage. We see people wanting to pick up stones and kill your son. It's so easy for us to, to just see this as obscure and weird and what's wrong with those type of people and not really see that in some corners of our heart we're very similar. We, we reject 
the grace of God when it shows up in the person of Jesus. We want to excuse our sin away. We want to just dismiss it and put a veneer of holiness and a veneer of good works over our own life and just hope that God will accept us for being good enough. But we know that good enough is never good enough. That Jesus Christ had to come, live the life that we couldn't live, and die the death that we deserve. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit is moving in this church. And I pray that you're bringing people to faith in you. You're convicting us of our sin and convincing us of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you're helping us turn from darkness to light, from our own ways to your ways, that you would bring glory to yourself in this, and you would bring healing and life and life more abundantly to your people. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, Justin. Um, man, we, by the Lord's kindness, we've come so far in the book of John and just having our eyes open to so much and where we're going over the next few weeks is just spectacular. I mean, we're, we're truly um, overwhelmed by treasures of what the Lord is directing us into. And I love there in verse 41 that many came to him. And Jesus' design for us to fellowship with him, we, it's going to be so awesome to be face-to-face with him. It's going to be so amazing just to um, to look eyeball to eyeball and um, and and just be in the presence of the Lord and there is a uh, total reality that we are in the presence of the Lord uh, and uh, many have felt that uh, are feeling that and one of the ways that that he even has has called us to come to him like they did in verse 41 believe in him is through communion uh, this is his idea, his design to say, I will do this with you one day at the wedding feast of the Lamb, but until I am with you face to face, I am with you. And I am present with you, and I'm present with you here at the table. And the this is a beautiful picture of, of his body that was lived in our place, given for us. And we have uh, two, uh, is it Scott and um, Jeff? Yeah, Jeff was mentioned earlier, a good friend of ours, loves Jesus. Uh, uh, so it'll be these men's honor to serve you communion. And what they'll do is they'll have gloves on and they'll tear the bread. And if you just walk up with your hands like this, they'll place it in your hands, maybe make eye contact. It's okay. Uh, this takes a little bit of time because um, Jesus did this for each one of us, for us and for each one of us. And they'll place the bread in your hands and say, the body of Jesus given for you. And let that become a sacred moment. And then take wine or juice representing the blood of Jesus shed for us, for our life and salvation. And the way that we'll do it is take the elements and then we'll go back to our seats, remain standing, and then we'll take it together as family. So I'll lead us into that. Um, there are warnings in scripture for those who have given their lives to Jesus, don't rush to the table without open yourself up to him for him to do, do work in your life. He might show maybe conflict that you have that you need to really move towards somebody else. There's even examples in scripture of like saying, why don't you hold off on communion until you're able to, to go towards another person like Jesus has gone towards us and then come to the table next week. But, but it's really healthy for us to spend some time with 
the Lord uh, then to, to come and to meet with him in this way. If you have yet to give your life to Jesus and you're like, I don't know if he's real, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't heard people talk this way before or any of that stuff, I would just encourage you, don't come to the table today. Uh, come to Jesus. And we'd love to, I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like, uh, how the Lord has revealed that to us, what that should look like. So let's spend some moment uh, meeting with him and then let's come to the table.